Take your Bible, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we are. We're finishing up in our series through the book of Ephesians. We've been looking at the identity markers that Paul uh, uh, shows us who we are in Christ chapter by chapter. And today we're looking at the fact that we are equipped for the battles in life. Here's the key concept. You have all you need for victory against the enemy. You have all that you need. Ephesians chapter 6 is the passage we'll be at in today. And while you find that, let me just tell you this basic truth. You have an enemy. That's why life is hard, because you have an enemy. That's why suffering is rampant. You have an enemy. That's why the righteous life is difficult. All of us have an enemy, enemy who hates us and hates the God who loves us. That basic truth needs to be understood. And you know what? I've never seen a police show on TV that was honest about this fact. You know, when you watch a police show, detective story, always the police asks the question about the victim, did he or she have any enemies? And never once have I heard the person respond with, well, yes, Satan. <laughs> it never has come up, but it is the fact. It can be put in very simple terms. God loves you and Satan hates you. God has good plans for your life and Satan is plotting to destroy you. When you forget that basic truth that we are in a real battle with a real enemy, things start to go sideways, sideways in the way we think. When bad things happen, we think, well, it's God making me miserable, punishing me for something that I did long ago. Or in a really weak moment, we think, well, God is mean and he likes to see me suffer. But in reality, we are under the attack of the enemy. And just as often, we are reaping the inevitable results that come when we make the bad choices because of the enemy's influence. Recall the battle. When you recall that you're in a battle, it changes your expectations of life. And it brings your thinking in line with the spiritual reality all around us. This is a fallen world. And we live among fallen people, and we are one of those fallen people. We have a fallen nature, and it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be comfortable because we are in the trenches as soldiers. But the victory is ours in Jesus, and He has equipped us for the struggle, for victory in the struggle. And so Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, tells us you are equipped with the armor of God. Now, when he writes these words, of course, it's in the first century. And the armor that he's describing is the armor that you would see on a Roman soldier. It's what he was used to seeing. It's what, what the Ephesian readers were used to seeing. So he describes it this way. So let's pick up the reading in verse 13 of chapter 6. And Paul says there, this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions 
with all kinds of prayers and requests. We'll stop our reading there for a moment. Paul is reminding us that we are in a war, a real-life spiritual war. And today, our physical wars are long-distance, high-tech kind of experiences. Bombs are guided by laser, so they hit the exact location of the enemy. They're shot by drones that are piloted, piloted by people, sometimes on another continent. And in that scene, the enemy is a blip on a screen, it's almost like a, a video game. But we know this. We know that you cannot gain ground. You cannot occupy territory by remote. In order to actually achieve victory, you need soldiers. You need people on the battlefield who are really there, really fighting. And for a soldier to be successful, they need to be well equipped. And in our passage today, Paul is picturing that up-close and personal struggle that all of us who know Christ as personal Savior have in this world, and he reminds us that we are indeed equipped by God himself. And he starts by saying, put on the full armor. We didn't read verse 11, but he says it there as well. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God. And the first thing that we must note is that we cannot be careless in the way we prepare for the battle. We can't leave any of the items of the armor of God to the side. No part of the uniform that Christ has prepared for us can be omitted they are all essential and they are interdependent. And Paul starts with the belt of truth in verse 14. In the first century, there were no suspenders. There, were, there was no Velcro. The soldier depended on the belt to hold everything together. Everything was tucked into the belt and rested secure because of the belt. And on the belt of a Roman soldier, there was an insignia. And the insignia described the, the regiment that this soldier was in. And when you think about that, what a perfect, uh, a perfect illustration of truth. The truth of God identifies who we are. The truth of God holds everything else together as we face the enemy in the battle. Truth. God's truth. It means soundness of doctrine, the fact that we derive what we know to be true from the very Word of God. This is the centerpiece of who we are and the centerpiece of our armor. Wearing the belt of truth as a part of your armor means this. It means knowing the truth, following the true message of God. But behind that, it also means accepting that there is such a thing as what Francis Schaeffer called true truth absolute truth, true for everybody, all the time, truth that we are responsible to. I want to spend some time on that this morning because this is the central piece of our armor, and this is the piece of our armor Satan is attacking blatantly in our culture today, specifically the idea of ethical subjectivism that's pervasive in our society. What I mean by that is some things are right for you that are wrong for you, some things are true for you, that are untrue for you, depends on who you are, you just decide for yourself. 
Christian philosopher Alvin Plantinga is right when he says this. It is extremely difficult to be a normal human being and not think that some actions are wrong and some are right. But all around us, people are trying to pull that off in an uninspected and unthoughtful way. Not too long ago, I watched a TV interview. The interviewer was asking questions of, of the subject, and they, they were kind of telling their story, revealing some things about their life. And then the interviewer said this, it must be hard for you to speak your truth. Do you see how subtle that is? There's an assumption behind that phrase. The assumption is that your truth is personal to you. It may be exactly opposite someone else's truth, and it may be exactly opposite someone else's truth about the same thing because it's personal. What's true for you might not be true for me. What's right for you may not be right for me. Simply follow your truth as you define it, your way. You define right and wrong according to your truth. That is ethical subjectivism. And it's the kind of relativism that permeates the marketplace of ideas today. And it is so illogical and so inconsistent and unworkable as a society that I see the hand of the deceiver behind it. It's part of the battle. Satan is lying to our culture. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And then he said this memorable phrase, when he lies, he speaks his native language. It's a great way to put it. People are believing the lie. This is a whopper, as Satan is telling people. We must reject ethical subjectivism, the idea that some things can be true for you but not true for me. If ethical subjectivism is true, then there is no such thing as right or wrong because everything is equivalent is it reasonable to conclude that slavery is equally as moral as freedom? That civil rights are equally as moral as oppression? Can it be that abusing a child is moral if the abuser thinks it is moral? But that's what ethical subjectivism brings us to. It removes the very concept of morality because it removes the distinction between what a person thinks about morality and what morality actually is. See, in order to think about right and wrong, we need to be able to make a distinction between our ideas and the reality itself, our opinions and what is actually moral or immoral, right or wrong. We need to be able to say, I might be wrong on this. I have to, I have to be humble about this. But our culture is rapidly losing the awareness of this distinction. And so truth as a fact is going away. It's being taken away. Right and wrong as absolutes are being removed from our society. And the conclusion of this, what this brings us to, is a culture that becomes illogical and unlivable. Nobody can live together with other people in a culture like this. It is shallow, it is inconsistent, but Satan has blinded the minds of many very smart people regarding the fact that there is truth to which we're answerable. One of the truths that's under attack right now in our society is the truth of the distinction between males and females, men and women. And just as an example of this and how subtle it is, I was watching the news this past week and they were reporting about 
the, the, the report was on COVID-19 and pregnancy. And over and over again, the reporter who was, was reporting the news was talked about pregnant people, pregnant people, pregnant people. Never said the word woman. I'm thinking to myself, what kind of people can get pregnant? <laughs> Women can get pregnant. That's it. That's the only category. But he didn't want to say that word to highlight the distinction. This, this subtle ways that truth is being eroded. And I want you to understand as a believer, God's truth is central to your armor. There is such a thing as truth. And this reality holds together all the rest of the armor and it gives you identity. It shows you this belt has that insignia. It shows you where you belong, whose you are. I am on the side of Jesus. And our lives are molded and guided by His truth. And when that's true, we are able to live a righteous life. And that's the next piece of the armor. Verse 14, second section. And the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate covers the vital organs. Righteousness is a cover that protects you in the battle. I have a simple definition of righteousness. It is doing the right things for the right reasons due to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's righteousness. Doing the right things for the right reasons because of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. In, in many respects, righteousness is simply living out the truth. And when we are living that way, the way God has designed us to live, there's a large protective breastplate around us. And this covers our vital organs in terms of the, the, the soldier here. It's what we need to have on. And the power for righteousness in our lives comes from Jesus Christ. But the responsibility for righteousness is ours. See, the, the, the responsibility is ours to say, I will look to Christ and his example and his power. Righteousness is not achieved through education. It's not achieved through intellect. There's a lot of morally wretched, very smart people out there because they live by themselves, their own standards on their own power. But when the Apostle Paul was living his life, trying to work out the call that God had on his life, living righteously and achieving for the Lord Jesus, even though it caused him to suffer, in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The strength comes from the Lord Jesus, but the doing was Paul's job. And it's our job as well to live a life of righteousness God-directed, to look to the Word to, show, to see how we are to make choices and decisions and to model our, model, see Jesus as our model and our example. And then also with that, he goes on to say in verse 15, we have feet fitted with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. The Roman soldier's footgear was a heavy sandal with a studded bottom. Think of kind of like a, a soccer cleat bottom. And with that studs on the bottom of their, of their heavy sandals, they gave them stability in the field of battle. They could stand firm and they could march forward. And Paul is saying, what enables us to stand firm is the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel, good news, the gospel of peace. It's not circumstances that have to go just our way that allows us to stand firm. There will always be difficulty in life. 
But there is a peace that supports us, and it is the good news of Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It guards us, supports us, comforts us in times of sadness because the gospel says that Jesus loves us enough to die for us so that our sins might be forgiven and we can be washed clean. That's the gospel of peace. And while you're wearing the gospel of peace as a stabilizing force, also pick up, he says, the shield of faith, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield is that strong, resilient faith that wards off the attack. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, says the Hebrew author. And the arrows come, and it might be grief, or it might be sadness, it might be pain, it might be disappointment, it might be sickness or hardship. And our faith is what wards these arrows off so they don't penetrate. And there are times when our faith, individually by ourselves, doesn't seem strong enough to withstand. There are times when we falter. And here is what's interesting about the example that Paul is using. And his first century readers would know it. And that is that the shield of the Roman soldier, uh, sometimes they were in the battle and the arrows were coming too fast for any one soldier to find protection behind their shield. But they were meant to interlock. Here's an interesting thing. The shields in the field of battle were meant to interlock both in front and above. And they would put their shields together and put their shields over their top like that. And it was called the testudo formation. Testudo means, uh, it means uh, tortoise in Latin. And because it looked like a tortoise. You know, the, all you saw was the shield. And they would uh, stay under those shields until the arrows uh, slowed down and then they could pursue the enemy. And that imagery is important to me because it reminds me that sometimes your faith is helping me and my faith helps you. Interlock shields together. We're meant to be doing this together. This battle is fought as a unit and we need that. Sometimes when we falter, somebody else's faith will be what we depend on and their example and their encouragement and their prayers and we can interlock shields. Well, verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Consider for, consider for a moment how vulnerable a soldier is without a helmet. In the midst of the battle, he can have everything else on, but his head is exposed. Consider that. And what is that which, which covers our head, which, show, which enables us to be protected there? And that is the fact that we are saved. The helmet of salvation. I have been rescued by Jesus Christ. I can hold my head high. I can walk boldly with confidence because I know that no matter what happens, I am the property of Jesus and he loves me. And lastly, he says, I want you to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is the offensive weapon. And it's the only offens offensive weapon that he mentions. You see, even though most of the armor is about protecting, we are not in retreat. We are to advance against the enemy. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's the weapon, the sword of the Spirit. And victory comes on the offense, and the offensive weapon is the Word. Knowing the Word, being a person of the Word. We need to have a good grasp on this basic weapon we have in the battle. That is why groups such as the Rooted Group that you heard about today, which gets you into the Word of God and for a 10-week period, you covenant with your group that I'm going to read the, the passage of Scripture for each day. I'm going to dialogue with that passage. And when we get together, we're going to share our thoughts on what we read during the week. Ten weeks of every day being in the Word of God, a great establisher of the habit we all must have, and that is being in the Word, because that's our weapon. And then he says in verse 18, and bathe all of this in prayer. And when you do, he says, this is what will happen. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Satan wants you to waver. Satan wants you to retreat. Satan wants you to pull back into a peace at any price kind of attitude. Well, I'm not going to speak up. I'm not going to say anything. He wants you to cower. But Paul says that the, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I need you to stand up, stand tall to stand firm. I need you to give no ground for, to the falsehoods that are around us. Stand against what we know to be false. Stand for what we know to be true and pure and gracious and lovely. Stand with one another in the struggle. Stand together in fellowship and love. And we will be victorious in the battle. We are equipped, but we are equipped for victory. We have what it takes. So as we look back over the book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter, we've reviewed who we are, the identity points that Paul points out to us. Chapter 1, he said, you are saints set apart for God. Chapter 2, you are saved. You are rescued by Jesus. Chapter 3, you are heirs of the inheritance that God has for you. Chapter 4, you are made new by His grace. Chapter 5, we saw you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him. And here in chapter 6, you are equipped for spiritual victory. The battle is real, but you have what it takes. So we say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice, because all of this is ours. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to equip us in the struggle. We thank you that realizing the struggle is real, you give us what it takes Lord, we pray that we would put on the full armor. We pray that we would be wise enough to know the battle is real. We pray, Lord, that we would be advancing against the enemy, not only armored, but clinging to our weapon, the sword of the Spirit. Enable us to be people of the Word so that we can do battle with the lies that are all around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.